Rusty Quill presents. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. West Side Fairy Tales is a dark fiction and horror podcast. The story you are about to hear is violent and disturbing. Exercise discretion before listening. Previously on Scars in Time. Ash witnesses a gathering of all the major players. A young woman who looks exactly like the golden ghost that's been haunting her. A man whose dress and even demeanor mark him as a nice stand-in for the Umbrella Man. And the nightmarish Mr. Compson a doppelganger for Bobby Chatterley, the future mayor and owner of Gun Cotton. Most of all, however, is the revelation of a handmade copy of The Raft of the Medusa, the painting alluded to by the mysterious version of Ash still typing away in the garret. The unveiling of the painting causes an extraordinary reaction in Ash causing a chain of events that reveals the doctor's true madness and sets in motion the end of her time in the Starling House. Without further ado, Scars in Time. Chapter 15. The Doctor. My head was pounding like death's last knock on the door when I woke the next morning. I don't know whether it was the morphine the doctor had slipped me, or the beating he'd administered beforehand, but in either case, I could barely push myself off the stiff mattress they'd given me. I was naked as well, from the waist up at least, and for a long moment I was worried the doctor had come into the room and done something to me. Sexual impropriety was the least of my worries. I could still remember that shifting, nibbling thing roiling beneath Christine's skin. Then I recalled images of the girl as though in a slideshow, her eyes blazing like a cutting torch as she pawed at me. I'd slapped her, I think, and she'd faded back into a normal human being. There had been some awkwardness after, but I barely remembered. I do know she slept in the room's other bed. I could tell when I looked at it that the thing had been slept in, or at least were made by a hand other than mine. 
I'd gotten fairly proficient in my few months as a maid. Remarkably, the hangover caused by my beating and subsequent drugging didn't keep me from waking too late for my morning chores. I washed myself, taking note of the vicious purpling of my face and holding a cold washcloth over the most swollen parts for a few long minutes. The eyes of the woman in the mirror were not those of a cowed little girl. I was glad to see. I wouldn't let this mistreatment of me go unanswered, though. God alone knew what I could actually do about it. Fume was what I decided on for the immediate future. Fume and scheme. I found Christine in the bedroom where I'd left her, bringing her morning tea and the Charleston Independent from the front porch. She sighed when she saw what her husband had done to me and suggested I stay beside her bed for a moment. I have tuberculosis, she said after a while. Only an idiot would think your behavior from last night caused the relapse you saw. I said nothing. My husband, in this case, is the idiot. She sighed again, and with this breath I could hear the light clicking of fluid in her lungs. I recognized it from my own illness, but... Even at my sickest, you'd still need a stethoscope to hear the little bubbles popping inside me. How long have you been sick? I asked. Nearly fifteen years, she said. My eyes widened. You're right to be surprised. I've outlasted even his longest living patients by nearly a decade. She rubbed the injection site from the night before, though no mark remained. My husband has his tricks. He refuses to let me die, and my responsibility as his wife is to honor that wish, no matter the cost. That's insane, I said, bluntly. After last night, I wouldn't stand on ceremony anymore, not unless I was forced to. Dr. Starling's behavior had murdered that farce for good. The sanity of it is... Inconsequential, Christine said, turning and coughing politely into her hand. She held her bloody palm to me and I gave her the brown street handkerchief from the end table. It had been clean the night before, when the doctor had rested a morphine syringe on it. My marriage is not an arrangement of love, but of... I should say destiny, but that would be too grandiose... Suffice to say, my sisters and I were assigned our husbands for reasons specific to each of us and to each of the men and women we were to wed. Why are you telling me this? I asked, taking the handkerchief. Because there's no one else to talk to anymore, she said. My husband's treatments have run the course of their effectiveness. He will not find his cure for tuberculosis, which I thought, hoped, at least, might have been his purpose in this life. She coughed again, but this time she just licked the blood off her lips and swallowed. It seems I was not luckier than my sisters, though I had always secretly wished I would be. You mentioned them, I said. She nodded. All of them dead. 
or soon to die, she said, looking up at the ceiling. Some had the foresight, like I did, to read into father's wishes. Some just went along with the flow. Some fought it. But here we all are. She gave me a pointed look. I always knew you'd be here. Really? I asked. Yes, she said. You are my Shinigami. I saw you in visions before I ever spoke a word of English. Before I ever even saw a white woman in the flesh. I saw you and saw that in every possible strand of the cord. Your arrival in my home meant death. I grimaced. She smiled. It's not so bad a thing, my little reaper. You're the unwitting herald of something a long time coming. What is the doctor doing? I asked. A woman stopped me out by the bridge yesterday and begged me to see her husband again. She said he came here and never returned. And what did you tell her? She asked. That the man was dead and that she should leave, I replied. Christine nodded. That's for the best, she said. He probably is. I don't think Braun would have let her live if she came asking questions at the door. What have let her live? Do you hear yourself? I asked. I have no illusions, Ashley, Christine said. About myself or my husband's work or my father's little oracle's predictions. That prophet in Hokkaido. She almost spit the word prophet, and it sounded oddly capitalized when she said it. All of this is not only necessary, but unavoidable. Necessary for what? I asked. I'd been watching the door for her husband to return. I'd rather jump out the window than be caught defenseless by him a second time. I don't know, she replied. Something that will herald in the new millennium. Something that is going to annihilate my father's home in Nagasaki with fire like a god might spit in anger. Something that will either free or bind the lot of us. She cleared her throat. Have you ever seen a man or woman bearing a tattoo of a feather? She asked. Her gaze was direct. I suddenly realized I had. Dawes Freely, the man who'd run the moving company that had helped Darcy and me move into the house, had just such a tattoo. He and a few other members of his crew, I remembered. Christine gave me a severe nod and looked at the ceiling. The occasional puff of dust still fell here and there, but the typewriter was almost silent for once. They shall raise a calcified tower, and inside its unmoving body, whittle the arms of a tree to nest their growing brood, she said. They shall fly from their shelter point numbered ten and ten million more, and burn the world with every beating wing. As their feathers are made into ash, so shall the world and all the folk upon its face be made anew. And you will know them by the marks of their shared labor. With that, she traced the shape of a feather lightly over the back of her wrist. What does it mean? 
I asked. I don't know, she said. But you have something to do with it. I had something to do with it up until last night. I woke this morning free of something. Purpose, perhaps. She grabbed my sleeve and looked into my eyes. He will try to kill you if you get in his way. He was a dear, sweet man. But there has been something lurking in him since Cambridge. He whispers to someone at night when he thinks I'm asleep. His poisoned muse, he calls her. And there it was. My ghost's name, spoken aloud. The house shuddered violently around us and even Christine cast her eyes over the ceiling. Then she looked at me. You have seen her, she said. You do know what I'm talking about. I nodded and she sighed. The noise was half a gasp. Take care of me as best you can, up until you know you can leave. I'll tell him you're indispensable for that. I could hear footsteps out in the main hall now, echoing through the house. It will buy you time. She began coughing, bending at the waist and then gesturing for the handkerchief. I gave it to her and she hacked into the thing until I thought she might just die. The cloth was ruined when she handed it back, soaked through and dripping with bloody phlegm. I'll get you a new one, I said. Thank you, she replied. And that was the last she ever spoke to me. Hey. Hey, you. There's new merch in the merch store. So go fucking buy some, you hear me? You wanna, you want a fucking shirt, bro? You want a sick fucking shirt, bro? Go to the fucking merch store and check out our new shirt. It's a collage of all that pretty hard work Missy Uwe puts together for season four. Fucking beautiful. You want to be fucking beautiful, don't you? Then go buy a shirt. You want to stay fucking beautiful? You better buy two fucking shirts. You better buy a fucking mug too and a fucking beanie. Don't let me find out you aren't wearing the merch. You better go to westsidefairytales.com slash merch and buy something. Yeah. Westsidefairytales.com slash merch. See you soon. Now back to our story already in progress. The doctor surprised me out in the hall. He'd been waiting quietly beside the door while I spoke with his wife. He smiled when he saw me, apologetically, though I could barely make out his eyes behind the swirls of grease on his lenses. Hello, <laughs> Ashley, he said, punctuating the words with one of those awful, subdued laughs. Good morning, doctor, I said, trying to edge past him. He let me go, thankfully, though he called to me over his shoulder. Ashley, hmm? he said. I'm afraid your services 
won't <laughs> be necessary much longer. I'm sure my wife <laughs> spoke to you about her condition. There was a harshness to that word he seemed to lean on. I nodded and he continued. Have you made some arrangements for travel? Have you let anybody? <laughs> no, you'll be leaving soon. Sent any you letters? Nobody knows I'm here but us, Dr. Starling. I said politely. He smiled and walked past me without another word, greeting his wife and shutting the door to their room behind him. Coraline found me cooking breakfast in the kitchen, acting equal parts coquettish and dodgy, as though she couldn't quite make up her mind what to talk about. She danced around whatever had happened between us in the hall the night before until I was sick of it. Whether or not my ghost, this poisoned muse, was in her or not, she was damn irritating and I was tired. What, goddamn you, what? I asked. Just tell me. We kissed, Ash, she said. The words popped from her mouth like a squeezed zit, or maybe something else. Either way, she seemed adequately relieved. You shouldn't have done that, I said. I wasn't in any sort of state for that sort of thing. I would have laid into her, but I couldn't separate her actions from the thing inside her. Or that she had been all this time, I didn't know. I heard a knock at the front door and then a great stomping of feet as the doctor made his way downstairs. Coraline frowned. You, she said, leaning in closer. You pulled me into bed with you. And I've, I've never even kissed a boy or done anything like that before. Even when... She blushed and rubbed her arm. I dumped the eggs I'd finished cooking on a plate and set the pan aside. What did you do last night, after Christine had her accident? I asked. Coraline looked at me dumbly for a second and then crossed her arms. I went... I went... to... Dr. Starling's office, she said. Down... well, you know... Did you do anything after? I asked. Well, I wanted to see what the painting looked like on the wall because I just know he's going to have Mr. Cutting hang it for him and Mr. Cutting hasn't got a clue about things like that, she said. She smiled then and I could see some of that flash in her eyes, that blue radiation. He's cute for a bumbling old dodger. You think he's cute? I asked her and she may as well have been slapped. Ew, no, she said. The light had gone. He's almost my father. An older brother, really. What is your relationship, anyway? I asked, not wanting to get back on any subjects this muse might be interested in. I could feel her understand much the same way I could feel that amorphous thing beneath Christine's skin. She wanted out. Or rather, she wanted to be able to move without my or anyone's choking hands in the way. 
Mr. Cutting picked me up off the side of the road in Oklahoma, Coraline said. She crossed her arms and leaned her hip against the prep table. I was about eight or so, and hungry. Mom caught sick, and Dad could only keep a few of us. So he just up and dropped me off a ways from home and told me to find someone new to deal with me. Jesus Christ, I said. Are you... I leaned in and whispered. Are you fucking serious? I wouldn't ever say that word, she said, actually looking mortified. There was something else too, though. A slight tilt of her eyes. She liked hearing me curse. I shuddered. But yeah, that was it, she said. A man found me and... That's how me and Mr. Cutting came to work together. Mr. Cutting was on a job then, and I, well, proved myself useful. Her eyes became sad. He hated, he still hates, that work, but he says he'll be out from under it all soon enough. He put something together he thinks is going to pan out and mate one. Mate one? I asked. Yeah, she said. Miners out there don't like how they got it. Who does, I guess? They're fixing to start fighting, but they'll get in trouble if they do. He's just setting it up so Dr. Starling here can get some patients in on the down low if they end up causing a ruckus. Something sparked in my mind about Maidwin and Miners in the 1920s, but I couldn't quite remember. I found myself rubbing the net of scar on the side of my head and wondering if it had been knocked out of me. That's the sort of work you two do, I asked. She shook her head and took a step closer to me. I could see it again, that little bit of heat and light in her eyes. Mr. Cutting doesn't let me around the worst of it, she said. Usually it's just errands, taking this there and that here. But sometimes, she bit her lip and looked into my eyes. I was suddenly arrested in place, my heart beating a mile a minute. Sometimes he has to leave me at the side of the road just like my daddy did. My bad old daddy. Sometimes Mr. Cutting has to be like him when he's got to go get them postcards signed and stamped. She was an inch from my face. I'm going to kiss you again because I liked it. How about that? Coraline said, I swerved my head out of the way and had to dance across the kitchen to keep my balance after my legs tangled underneath me. Coraline was still facing the stove, the steam from the fresh-cooked eggs gathering around her head. Ashley? She said. When she turned around, her face was confused. The light was gone. Where? What were we talking about? You said Mr. Cutting goes and gets postcards, I said, maintaining my distance. Her face went pale enough I could make out a constellation of light brown freckles on her nose. You said he leaves you behind when he gets them. She rushed past me without saying another word, head down and not looking at me. I watched her go and then ate breakfast at the table. Catherine and the doctor could damn well wait for their food.
One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Wow, what a great story. But I have no fucking idea what's going on in it to you. Maybe it'd be a little easier to understand if I had access to like a written version of the show to follow along with and read back through. Maybe even some, I, I don't know, behind the story information to clear up some of my, my fucking questions. Oh, wait, right there. Yes, <laughs> it says right there. Join the West Side Fairy Tales Patreon today and get access to behind the story audio programs and fully laid out chapters of this story, Scars in Time, and most of the West Side Fairy Tales back catalog for just five measly dollars a month. Wow, what a deal. Oh, it even says here you can get special merch packs and signed posters if you give a 
a more generous donation. Uh, that means he needs your money, people. This isn't a fucking charity. Okay, go to patreon.com slash westsidefairytales today and subscribe for excellent behind-the-story content and more. That's patreon.com slash westsidefairytales. Link is in the description. And don't forget to watch my show if it's for... Ah, come on! I'm not doing this for free! Now back to our story, already in progress. The doctor came into the kitchen a while later, followed closely behind by a cutting and a man I'd never seen before. The guy looked half dead, swaddled as he was in ill-fitting and sweat-soaked clothing. His eyes were red-rimmed and his cheeks and lips were covered in splashes of what looked like ink. In a second, I realized the dots were black, wet, and weeping sores. Cutting had to carry the man on his arm. Damn, if I didn't start feeling bad again, Doc. The man said. You were right nice to come visit for an exam. But this bug might well be the death of me. We'll have you fixed. (laughs) We'll have you fixed up in a jiffy, sir. Dr. Starling said. He seemed like his usual self again, save for the filthy glasses. He followed Cutting and the man downstairs like the ever-doting country doctor gently wringing his hands and uttering an endless stream of platitudes. I was heating the pan for Christine's breakfast when I heard the man start screaming. I turned around to see him burst through the door to the kitchen, face pale and blotchy. His panicked eyes set on me as he stumbled into the room. Get me a knife, woman! They're killing me! He said, hacking his words through a foam of blackened phlegm. I stepped back from him, Horrified, clutching the tea towel I'd been using to hold the frying pan in front of my chest. He bent and coughed, dripping smoking black dots onto the kitchen floor. I covered my mouth with the towel. Jesus Christ, he said. What they do to me? What they do to me? Miss Plot? Miss Plot, we need you back downstairs. Cutting said face red and puffy from the chase up the stairs. I heard the doctor moving up the steps at a leisurely pace behind him. Every footfall seemed to vibrate through the floor into my feet. Hell with you. This Mr. Blot said, spitting either from consternation or simply to clear his mouth. The froth landed on the tiles with an oily splat. As I watched... The black-red foam grew a series of bubbles that burst into oily smoke. I pressed the towel tighter over my mouth and nose, backing into the corner. You're... not well, Cutting said, approaching Blot with his hands up and trying to dab the sweat from his eyes with his coat sleeve. Yeah, delusional. I can feel it, you son of a bitch, Blot said, looking around quickly. It's moving around in me. Get out of my way, fat man, or I'm going to come at you hard. I can't let you leave, Mr. Blot. Cutting said, looking worried himself. The doctor's footsteps were louder. Blot glanced at the stairs, and Cutting made the mistake of looking himself. 
Blot snatched up the hot pan of eggs and steam hissed between his closed fingers. He pitched it at Cutting's head and, in a moment frozen in time, I could see Blot's smoldering brown handprint still smoking on the pan's handle. It skimmed off Cutting's face and Cutting screamed but held his ground. I tried to step back and around the fracas, slipping and skidding through the kitchen when I stepped on one of the dislodged eggs. Blot charged Cutting and the fat man met him with his arms forward, looking like a more capable fighter than I'd ever have expected. He had a hardness to his eyes I hadn't seen before in him. They grabbed each other and fell out of sight behind the massive prep table, rolling around on the floor. I heard them cursing each other for a moment, then a sound like vomiting. Cunning began to scream, the high-pitched, insane howling of a badly injured animal. Lot pushed himself to his feet the second the doctor emerged from the basement, stooping his head to do so. Blot tried to run, but something tripped him up and he only managed to stumble a few feet. The doctor snatched him by the back of the neck, like he was grabbing a misbehaving puppy, and dragged him back into the kitchen. Get your hands! Blot started, but a fresh round of coughing subsumed his words. Cutting had gone mercifully silent. His screaming was, perhaps... The worst thing I'd ever heard in my life. The doctor swung Blot by the neck like a sack of potatoes. I saw the surprise in the man's eyes as the world windmilled around him, and then painful shock when he landed hard on the prep table. He belched loudly, burping loose several cupfuls of foul blackness over his chin. I could see it smoking lightly when it touched his flesh. The skin began to rise and quiver to bubble slightly and to laminate away from itself, away from the bone. Oh no, we're too early in the treatment for that, the doctor said, producing a glass bottle and pooling the cork free with his hand. He poured white powder over the goo on Blot's face and the entire thing burst into a cloud of stinking white steam. I heard something like a shaken up soda bottle being opened but saw nothing through the reeking cloud. I realized the basement door was opened and ran for it, thinking in a second that perhaps the doctor had left the entire works down there open. Maybe I could get to the painting, do whatever needed getting done, and then be free of this place for good. I'd gotten close enough to see the stairs when the doctor's arm shot past me and slammed the door shut. His hand seeming nearly as wide as the medium-sized frying pan I'd just been cooking eggs in, lay flatly, thinly, against the wood. I turned, expecting to see him standing over me, but all I could see was the hairy expanse of his arm, insanely long and vanishing into the white cloud covering Blot's writhing body. <laughs> now, now. I heard him chuckle. <laughs> You've been warned about that basement girl. The hand slid down the wood and turned the key in the basement lock. Then it fell limp against the floor, and I could hear a series of pops and clicks and groans as it retreated into the growing cloud of white mist over the prep station. Do we? 
Do we have any more of those sheets you tore up last night for Christine? He asked. Blot made a mild, gurgling noise. The soles of his leather boots squeaked against the dense wooden surface of the prep table, leaving dozens of little black skid marks. Yes, sir. I whispered. I cleared my throat. Yes, sir. Fetch them for me, he said. Mr. Cutting is losing <laughs> quite, quite a bit of blood. I stepped back into the dining room, never taking my eyes off that rising cloud of steam. Before I finally turned and jogged away through the house, I could make out just the barest lines of the doctor's broad shoulders over Blot's writhing body. That, and the filthy, circular glimmer of his glasses. Children, children, gather around and place your hand in the air. That's right. Fingers split wide, wide, wide so the wind can pass between them. Carry that sweet scent of trade on to the nose of the witcher. We are gathered here today in non-existence, awaiting the strike of the pen, the clatter of the keyboard, the moment when I might be introduced to the ears of the masses, so that our work can spring forth anew in the hearts of millions. But that we are carried on the wings of angels. Say true. Our words must be electrified. Amen. Our words must be clarified. Amen. Our words must be carried wide. Amen. So go out there, little brothers, little sisters, and spread the gospel on social media. Put us on Reddit. Put us on the Facebook. And put us on the Twitter, praise her. Share us far and wide so that I might become and my story made clear. At WS Fairy Tales on Twitter, Westside Fairy Tales on Facebook and Instagram. The link tree is in the description. Praise her name. Praise her, mm, praise her, yes. And let us together drive this sin from gun cotton moon. Raise your hands now. Raise your hands. Now back to our story already in progress. The doctor and Blot were gone by the time I returned downstairs. Coraline was kneeling beside Cutting, holding his slack hand in her own and weeping. She'd covered his face with some of the spare towels from the kitchen. All of them were soaked through with blood. I stepped beside her and was relieved, for whatever reason, to see he was breathing. He's so close, she said. We are going to move to a city or something. He just wanted to cook, but who'd hire him now? 
I didn't say anything. Just knelt with a stack of fresh rags and lowered my hand to change out the soiled ones. Coraline grabbed my wrist. Don't, she said. He's... I already took one off before and things... Pieces? Came away... I think it's best not to do anything until the doctor comes back. I nodded and lay some of the fresh rags over the mess on his face until there were enough layers to keep the blood from soaking through. I put a hand on Coraline's shoulder. Who was that man? I asked. Who? She asked, not taking her eyes off cutting. That you both came in with today. Oh, she said, wiping her eyes. Mr. Blot, he got hurt in a bar fight real bad and Cutting told him about Dr. Starling's clinic out here. We gave him a ride then, too. I guess he got sick recently and wanted to come back. She said all this in a blank, flat voice. It was partially true, I figured. Still, something bothered me. Earlier, you were talking about those postcards, I said. She flinched and might have walked away from me, but I knew she couldn't leave cutting. What are they? She gave me a cold look. There was nothing of that poisoned muse in it, but the same sort of feeling flicked up my spine when she met my eyes. Everybody's got their debts to pay, she said, taking a breath. If you're even asking about him, you should already know what they are. She swallowed and dipped her fingers into her collar. A second later, she produced a rumpled, faded postcard showing a train line crossing through a field of buffalo. She flipped it over and I saw a child's crooked signature. It read, Coraline, maybe. Is that your last name? I asked. She laughed. Maybe. She replied. Oh my, the doctor said. I heard him coming up from the basement, but I'd been so focused on the conversation he still managed to surprise me. Oh my, oh my, oh my. He knelt down beside Cutting and held the man's hand. Coraline and I stepped back, whether to let him apply his profession or just because his presence was so repellent. I don't know. He smiled at Cutting as though the man could still see. His teeth were brown, dirty. Cutting, you poor boy, he said. I realized then that Cutting's right hand was partially bone in places, though it wasn't bleeding. The exposed flesh was pinkish and laced with hard chunks of black. You, you did your best, didn't you? That Mr. Block was certain... <clears throat> Certainly agile for someone in his condition, but you held on to him. He looked over the ruined hand one last time and then dropped it, standing. I'll fix those fishhook fingers of yours, the doctor said. This damnable consumption remains beyond my means, but I'll fix that. (laughs) At least... He gestured to Coraline, flicking his finger from her to Cutting's body. You grab his feet, girl, he said, 
and I'll grab his arms, Will. He stopped, thinking to himself for a moment. His eyes were imperceptible behind those filthy, reflective lenses. He chuckled, let himself chuckle, it felt like, for a long moment. He smiled at me. Ashley, he said. You you wanted to see the basement so badly. Why don't you grab under Mr. Cutting's shoulders there and help Coraline get him down to the clinic, won't you? I took a breath and looked from him to Coraline. She wouldn't meet my eyes. He chuckled, not so long this time, and continued. I'm awfully tired from dealing with Mr. Blot, after all. I swallowed, knowing any trip to that basement with him would be my last. My eyes flicked around the house, the familiar and unfamiliar trappings of a place where I'd now lived longer in this out-of-time existence than in my real era. Perhaps he couldn't see the motes of dust falling like streams and rivers beneath the boards overhead. But I could. The typewriter churned furiously in the missing garret. More so, I could, for the first time in a while, feel those cords of air pressing against my face and the slight burning in the old scars on my head. Yes, sir, I said. Whatever you need. My descent to the basement, awkwardly carrying the mostly dead and still bleeding Mr. Cutting, was anything but heroic. I felt like an idiot, in fact, missing the occasional step and nearly sending us careening down the stairs. The doctor followed close behind me. I could feel his presence like a chunk of uranium burning into my flesh. Ahead of us was Coraline, who tossed me indignant looks every time I nearly dropped cutting. Then we were downstairs, both of us sweating like hogs as we loaded the man onto a steel frame stretcher beside the staircase. I could tell from the fresh blackness staining the thin white mattress pad that Mr. Blot had been its most recent occupant. I heard a click from the top of the stairs and saw the doctor's glasses shining in the darkness. He'd just locked the door. Any problems? He asked. No. I muttered under my breath. Coraline led the stretcher into the clinic. The receptionist's office inside the door was well-stocked now, and I almost died when I saw the typewriter, my typewriter, just sitting there on that steel desk. I reached out and slapped one of the keys, expecting the building to rock with sudden, thunderous fury, but it merely clicked. Whatever magic might inhabit it one day had yet to arrive. I gave it a last, sad glance and followed Coraline into the clinic's main room. What I found was a sort of nightmare hospital. The doctor himself had to push me inside, 
frozen as I was at the barred doors leading from the receptionist's office. He locked the door behind him with the sort of massive copper key you only see in a prison, which made sense, because that's what this place was. Men beat their hands against the thick, wired glass of their cells. Some simply stood and glared at us, at the doctor, eyes lingering on the door even as it locked. Most of them were sick, some terribly so, with the same illness that afflicted Mr. Blot. Black splotches covered their mouths and cheeks and lips. In some cases, the splotches had grown into viscous, gel-filled blisters or simply eaten away the flesh until none remained to cover the men's teeth or tongues or jaw bones. One of the men, in the last stall on the right, simply tapped his head on the glass. The infection had spread into his eyes, which were pale and shot through with black veins that pushed into the warped bone of his sockets. The material of his skull had twisted into an odd, ugly shape so that the top of it was almost funnel-like. His mouth had reformed or, possibly, devolved into something like a weeping black anus. As I watched, he coughed a steaming stream of oily grease onto the glass. The sound of spraying water shocked me back into the moment, and I saw Coraline washing down a large steel chute set into the far end of the room. It was covered with black filth and streaks of drying blood. It didn't take a rocket scientist, or a doctor, to know that's where Mr. Blot had ended his journey to gun cotton. In here, girl, the doctor said. You don't need Coraline's help to push that thing. He chuckled and pushed open a door to an operating suite. The steel autopsy table sat in the center of the room beneath a great disk of light. Clean, silvery tools were arranged on sheets of paper atop a series of three rolling trays. I pushed Mr. Cutting to where it would be easiest to unload him, looking at the arranged scalpels and hammers and drills and wondering if any of them would be of use as a weapon. I had no doubt I could hurt a person with the things, but I was no longer sure if the doctor qualified as human. Coraline stepped into the room, standing just inside the swinging double doors. I saw a set of thick fabric handcuffs dangling from her hand, the sort I was more than familiar with from my time at the Trans-Allegheny Psychiatric Hospital. She refused to meet my eyes when I looked at her, but I smiled anyway. The doctor was busying himself in one of the drawers. I saw him pull out a syringe and a bottle to fill it with. Are one of you going to help me put him on the table here? I asked, looking them both over. Cutting's dressings had soaked through fully with blood, and they shone candy apple red in the surgical lighting. The doctor tried to keep his chuckling under control so the shakes wouldn't make him drop the bottle. If you'd like to spend your last few minutes playing <laughs> along, along with that farce, I'll... <laughs> I'll... I'll honor that wish, he said. He began chuckling to himself when the bottle slipped out of his hands. Ah. (laughs) 
started cursing as he fumbled around for the thing on the ground. But he was laughing all the same. Coraline, can you... (laughs) Can you... Can you put the restraints on Ashley there? He paused. Ashley, girl, I understand you want to live and and all that, but you aren't going. (laughs) You, You aren't going to, he said. I'm a man of my word. You insulted a guest and you have all but killed my wife. That said, if you go quiet, Leia, use you in, <laughs> in a manner that will afford you some dignity. Otherwise, I'll... <laughs> yeah, let's just say I'll actually let you understand just how rude you've been while staying at my home. Coraline, I asked. She'd already closed the distance holding the first of the two cuffs in her hand. She looked regretful, but determined. Coraline, you don't have to do this. She frowned at me, eyes narrowing a bit. You don't know what I have to do, she said. I stepped back from her, trying to keep a manageable distance between her, myself, and the doctor as he fumbled about for the bottle. Even if I don't want to, I'm going to. She swallowed. Otherwise, there's going to be another one like Mr. Cutting right on my tail. Maybe even worse. She stopped and held out the cuffs, imploring me to take them and put them on myself. Things don't just get to be so you can't change them, she said. They start out that way. Then they end that way, Ashley. If you figure that out early, you can save yourself a lot of trouble down the line. Keep from getting hurt. She sighed and opened the cuffs. Her eyes flicked from my face to my wrists as she gauged the best plan of attack for restraining me. Fair enough, I said, stepping back and grabbing the edge of the topmost bloody tea towel covering Mr. Cutting's face. I swiped at her with it, spattering her face with blood and chunks of dissolving flesh when I missed. She screamed and stepped backward, slapping at the mess covering her mouth and cheeks. I spun the towel into a long, slender strip and whipped it at her face. The bloody towel flicked just past the bridge of her nose and licked across her right eye. She howled and fell against the wall to paw at her face and scream. Black smoke poured up from between her fingers. Coraline? The doctor asked. He poked his face above the operating table bed and I swiped the bloody towel at him, only managing to knock the glasses off his face. I fully expected something horrible behind those filthy lenses, but I saw only the normal, human eyes of the man I'd once known as Dr. Braun Starling. He blinked and yelped and pawed the ground for his glasses. I would have pressed my attack by doing what I don't know, but I froze when I saw Cutting's exposed face. Not an ounce of tissue remained on the front of his skull. Muscle and even the bones themselves had been burned to nothing in places. 
His tongue was whole, but had fallen up at crossways through the melted valley of his right cheekbone to lay against his blind right eyeball. His left eye remained maddeningly whole and bright and rested loosely in the too wide concavity of its former socket. As I watched, the last strained bit of muscle tethering to the skull flexed, dragging the eye's focus to me. Come here, you! The doctor yelled, having forgotten both his glasses and the syringe. He barreled around the table and snatched me up by my throat, picking me off the ground like so much wet cloth. You insane fucking bitch! What is the issue with you? Why, why are you trying to ruin my work? I clawed at his face, scratching until one of my nails broke loose and the doctor's skin was speckled with bleeding rents. He squeezed tighter and I felt myself fainting, that electric feel of suffocating to death. I rethought my attack and caressed his face like a lover searching it until my thumbs were beside his eyeballs. With the last of my strength, I pushed. He maintained his grip far longer than any man, any human being, should have been able. I ground my teeth and forced my thumbs deeper, feeling my nail slip beside his right eye and into the socket. The left eye ruptured wholesale, and I felt its innards leaking down my wrist. The doctor howled and dropped me, falling into the autopsy table and then immediately lurching back toward me. He pressed his left hand over his ruined eyes and searched for me by wildly swinging his right arm. As I watched, the appendage grew a touch longer, his hand a touch wider. I backpedaled over the operating room floor. Coraline! He called. My eyes snapped to where I'd last seen her. I half expected she'd recovered and was about to barrel into me. Instead, I saw her sitting casually against the wall with her right arm propped up over her knee, looking at something in her hand. The skin on the right side of her face hung slack and loose, so that she looked dead. Some of it was still smoking. She turned and the glow almost overpowered me. It was her, the muse, grinning at me from inside the smoking ruins of Coraline's head. She tossed what she'd been looking at on the ground and I saw it was a smoldering, smoking hunk of Coraline's face. She leaned her head back against the wall and drove a fist into her own skull. She pushed the hand into the bone like it was wet cardboard and began tearing it apart. Then she was pulling hunks of bloody gray matter out of her head and flicking it onto the floor like turkey giblets. The shining, immaterial face of the muse remained whole, however, growing ever brighter as the feeble flesh that held it in place was removed. The doctor grabbed for me one last time and managed to knock me to the floor. I snatched the closest thing I could off one of the trays, a saw, and blindly attacked him with it. I didn't even know what I was doing. I just went at him holding the thing in both hands, striking him over and over again in the leg until, incredibly, I heard his bones snap beneath the knee. His leg buckled and collapsed. He hit the ground screaming and I scrambled for the door. Coraline! He was shouting. (laughs) Coraline! 
I heard that insane laughter leaking out of him again. Oh, poor Dr. Prawn, the muse said, still ripping the body to pieces, digging now inside the open chest cavity and tearing free Coraline's lightly thumping heart. I'll be with you in a moment, dear. She looked at me, tearing loose a chunk of lung. And I'll see you in time. She gave me a smile that made my skin break out in goosebumps. What you're looking for is in his office. Back door on the left. Bye now. I left them and limped for the office. I threw open the door and there it was before me. The raft of the Medusa. Resting high and beautiful on the wall. I walked forward, holding my hand out to touch it, but I never got close. For a moment I was nothing at all. And then I was stumbling over the hard marble floor of a massive home I'd never seen before. A man stood beside me. He had dark, unruly hair and a beard and mustache, both in need of a trim. There was nothing special about his appearance save for his eyes, which danced over the painting and then to me the way embers danced tree to tree in a forest fire. What do you think of it? He asked not waiting for my answer. I suppose I agree. Too much, not enough. There's something missing from this one, but it'll sell well. The boring ones always do. I tried to say something, but I was choking. He looked back to me. Are you all right? He asked, honest concern in his voice. Are you all right? Ash... Honey, talk to me. I felt rough hands shaking me. For a moment I fought against them, but they held me back. Not harshly, but the soft, insistent hold of someone who was afraid I'd hurt myself. Then I was awake, piecing together the shadows of the dark, familiar room around me. Morning sunlight danced through the gray leaves of the trees outside, painting Darcy's concerned face. I started crying, and before she could say anything, I kissed her and pulled her tight against my chest. I was home. Coming up on Scars in Time. Ash's desperate gambit in the doctor's hidden clinic has paid off, returning her home as though from a dream. Faced with the revelations of the clinic, many questions have been answered, but many more remain. Ash finds that, though she's come home, Gun Cotton has taken a turn for the worse while she's been gone if she was really gone at all. In any case, 
it's readily apparent that her work isn't yet done. And this moment of happiness might be little more than a brief reprieve. I hope you'll join us next episode for Scars in Time, Chapter 16, The Return. And until then, as always, stay safe out there. West Side Fairy Tales is written, read, scored, and produced by Tyler Bell. Original audio filmed on location in Sutton, West Virginia, and Louisville, Kentucky. Engineering and sound design by WSF Productions, LLC. Episode art by Yui Breedlove. All content herein copyright 2021, WSF Productions, LLC. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small-town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning West Side Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast due for release by Henlow Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.